Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. As a small business owner, you are the business, and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple, and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance, and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business, and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian PowerPay. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and changemakers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and the lives of those driving the entrepreneurial movement in Canada. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Curtis, and welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. We're thrilled to have Amanda Truscott on the show today. Amanda is co-founder and CEO of Rhythmic Solutions, which builds advanced analytics for predictive maintenance on mining equipment. She's also a Next.ai entrepreneur and the author of Creative Unblocking, Bypass Self-Doubt, Tap Your Genius, and Complete Your Best Work. While her colleagues combine data science with decades of experience working on equipment and mines, Amanda specializes in the intersections of creativity, technology, and communications. Amanda has a master's degree in journalism with an emphasis on multimedia, and she brings a unique and human-centered approach to industrial transformation. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you very much for having me. We're just as happy to have you here. So before we get into uh, our conversation today, what is the one thing you want entrepreneurs to take away from this conversation? Don't give too much credence to your doubt. Um, something that I've really learned from being part of the entrepreneurial communities here in Montreal is everyone has it just about. <laughs> it's pretty rare for people not to feel a lot of self-doubt in this journey. Um, and being able to get done what you need to get done is very often about being able to move through that. Mm. That's that's a great piece of advice. And uh, and I can even imagine just uh, reading from your bio there, feeling and, uh, and, and coming out with, again, that master's degree in journalism. Because um, I actually, I, I relate to that in a way because I actually studied journalism at my undergrad. And it's been so interesting, you know, being somebody in, uh, in you know, the working world nowadays and seeing like and realizing, okay, I have this certain set of skills for, you know, storytelling. I have this certain set of skills for exploring relationships between people and kind of navigating those channels. And, uh, and I really do want to know how... Um, your experience as a non-technical women founder in uh, uh, two industries that are like, you know, definitely the, the last thing on what I would imagine is many uh, women in the workforce's minds, which are uh, being mining and, uh, and uh, well, not the tech field specifically, but uh, mining <laughs> for sure. And I, I want to know how you made that jump from 
you know, again, master's degree in, in journalism and professional storytelling to uh, <laughs> making an app that schedules maintenance for mining machines. It was something that would have taken a very, very sophisticated algorithm to predict, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> super random journey. So I, I had trouble with journalism because uh, I, I just... I found it really difficult to, to navigate the grind of daily news and sort of trying to form relationships with people and then having to go back to my desk and act as if whatever connection I had had with the person that I'd spoken to didn't exist. And and writing about things like, you know, kids dying and fires, and it just was so stressful for me. So um, I had to get out of that business. I think if I'd been doing something like what you're doing, like a tech podcast, um, it would have been a completely different story. Mm. But in any event, uh, I got into corporate training and that was where I met Kevin Urbanski, who's our CTO, and he actually started the company. Um, but well before that, uh, he and I started dating. So when he started Rhythmic Solutions, um, he decided that he wanted some help on the business side. And he asked me to come in and assist with the communications part of it. So it really started more with the kind of marketing, storytelling side of things, me bringing in those skills. And then as the business progressed, you know, he brought in Chris to help more with the business and the technical. I got us into Next AI. I learned a lot more about business and entrepreneurship and, and innovation in a practical sense. And, and what I realized is that so much of building a business really is about building a story, you know, I mean, because when you're telling a story, you're talking about problems and solutions and people and, and what do those people need? What are those people trying to do? And, and that's exactly what you need to be keeping in mind when you're building a business. So it actually ended up working out surprisingly well. I never would have thought that would have happened, mm -hmm. though. Yeah, no, and, and again, I uh, I think that's uh, that is something that's just part and parcel with entrepreneurship. It's just you know finding uh, this random you know combination and, and occurrence of factors that uh, that just come in and, and end up culminating in something that is um, taking the best of the skills you have available to you and taking the best of the people around you skills you have available to come together and, and create a solution to uh, a problem you identified along the way. Mm. So tell us about uh, Rhythmic and um, and kind of, you know, what its story is, you know, where did uh, you, you touched on kind of where it came from, but uh, what what specifically do you do and uh, and where is it going from here? So, I mean, I guess it might make sense to start at the beginning. Kevin and Chris, my other co-founders, they spent a lot of years gathering and analyzing data in mines, working for a company that was called Matricon. It was later acquired by Honeywell. And many years later, you know, they both were doing different things. Kevin was working for tech resources, uh, um, doing some analytics for them. Chris had left the industry entirely. Um, Kevin studied AI when we took a sabbatical after he left tech. And, and what he realized in doing that was that this was the way to unlock the value in all of the data that he and Chris had worked so hard to get for all of these companies. So he started Rhythmic because he wanted to really fulfill on the mission that they had begun all of those years ago to actually give people useful insights with what it was that they had. So what we have now, is an analytics engine that gives predictive insights about 
when equipment is going to fail um, and in what order and also lets you get details about what exactly is going wrong. And that, that analytics engine is not actually a data collection device. So we don't work with sensors or anything like that. I mean, we don't have our own sensors. What we do is we leverage the data that's coming in from other data collection systems and we plug our analytics into that. And then we feed them into what are reporting, whatever reporting systems the mines want to use because one of the issues in mines is change management. You know, people get really into their existing systems and processes. So as much as you're able to work with that, um, it really helps. And that's a little bit about us. Mm. That's awesome. And, it, and it's, again, it's, it's so interesting to see that this is a problem that, uh, or not a problem, but it's a, uh, a solution that was, that was years in the, uh, years in the incubating, I suppose, and, and taking again, what, what would have, would it be at first glance, I suppose, a, a random occurrence of events and leading up to it. It's, it's that, um, it's realizing that, you know, with the things that you have on the table that are available to you, it's, it's, we can use these things to craft a solution, uh, in the spaces we work in and in the, um, in the environments we find ourselves in. So, so I think I want to build on that a little bit and, and dive into what it's been like for you as being a, a non-technical woman founder in the AI and the mining industry. Again, this is just so four kind of converging points all, all on itself. And I just I really want to dig into that. It's been fascinating for a lot of reasons, because until I got into this space, I was really used to seeing pretty equal numbers of women and men in the various roles that I was in. And so, you know, I didn't really feel like there was a lot of you know, inequality or unfair. I, I just wasn't exposed to it, you know? Um, and then all of a sudden I got into this world and, and I keep looking around and I'm like, where are all the girls? <laughs> what, what I'm, why am I by myself here? I mean, not entirely, of course. I mean, there, there were a lot of women in Next AI and, and there are a few women in Creative Destruction Lab, which is the, the accelerator that we're participating in now. They're definitely not as numerous though. And I think it's like 13% of the people in mining are women or something like that. Like it's really, really low. So mostly it's just confusing, I would say, because it's not like people have been unkind to me. You know, I feel like it's been um, pretty welcoming, actually. I, I haven't felt personally like I've really been discriminated against. I haven't perceived a lot of that. I think it's more complicated and it has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, women maybe don't necessarily think to go into various fields as often as men do. Also how we are with each other in those fields, uh, because if you're going to move up in an organization, I saw this on a YouTube video the other day about women executives, it really helps to have a sponsor or someone who's really rooting for you within that organization. So not just mentoring you, but working to pull you up through the ranks and give you exposure to different experiences. And, and I think women need to do that for each other more when we do find ourselves in, in spaces where women aren't traditionally. And then there is the issue of imposter syndrome, which I think we might touch on. Mm -hmm. But I see that a lot more in women than in men. And, and confidence seems to have a lot to do with, with where we get mm. when we get in, in the more executive levels mm -hmm. from what I've seen. Yeah. And, and really being, you know, the, the fuel that, uh, that your engine runs on and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, that 
note you mentioned about uh, you know having women act as more sponsors. It, I, I really do think that would ring true. And um, and again, it's it's that builds on the concept of you know you have to see yourself in a role in in order to believe you can do it. And uh, not only not only seeing yourself there, but having the person that uh, you know who's doing the things you want to do, you know, giving you that uh, that hand up is uh, is something that really I do think would tip the scales. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's been one of the really cool things about it. Actually, is being out and around and doing what I'm doing. People are seeing me in this role, and they're telling me that you know y- younger women and and women in other organizations are telling me that that means something to them. You know, just the fact that I'm standing here, like never mind whatever kind of a job I'm doing, just the fact that I'm standing here in this place doing this thing, they're like, oh, you know, yeah. And and that's that's kind of crazy, but it seems to be the way it is. Mm. So I, uh, I, I, you brought up a few of these things here and I, and I do want to, I do want to touch into them as well. And, you know, even though they may be the ugly sides of entrepreneurship, it's a, it's, it's again, it's all part and parcel of, uh, of just dealing with it. So I want to, I want to get into what your advice uh, would be in dealing with uh, some of the self doubt and lack of motivation that, uh, that inevitably will come up in the journey. The number one thing I would say is having the right support networks. So Having friends who are also entrepreneurs who are going through what you're going through, it can really help to bring perspective and and can help to draw attention to what I was saying earlier, which is the fact that just because you're feeling these things doesn't necessarily mean that they mean something, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that you really do suck or you really aren't going anywhere or whatever it is that your mind is telling you. Um, Just talking to other people who are going through the same sorts of things can help to bring you out of that a little bit. So that would be a really big one. I also journal quite a bit anytime that I'm feeling like something is not quite right in my head. I really try to make a couple of hours because I like to give myself lots of time for this. Um, Often it's on the weekend when I would do this and just sit down and free write everything that's in my head. And inevitably, I will reach a conclusion of some kind. I find that when I do that, I I tend to get somewhere. Whereas when I just stay in my head, I can go around in circles for days. But getting it out on paper is kind of like, okay, it's there. I don't have to revisit that. I can move on to the next thing and the next thing and eventually come to some kind of solution, whatever that is. Mm. Yeah, and and I really like that idea that that concept of free writing because that's something I do myself as well. It's just it's very much like it's I, I take all this these jumble of words and, and cloud that's in my head and then uh, by writing it down on the page, it forces you to, you know, put them into concrete thoughts and it forces you to put them into, you know, proper sentence structure and things like that. And then oftentimes you just end up with a, uh, a little more organized, uh, organized version of the, uh, the nest of snakes going on between your ears. Yeah, it creates clarity for sure. Okay. And, uh, and I really do want to touch on this, uh, this, you know, notion of imposter syndrome as well, because this can be something that's, uh, that affects so much of the audience as well. And what advice uh, do you have for entrepreneurs on combating that specifically? Do the thing that you don't think you can do. (laughs) Um, Mm. That's the only way. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I, over the last few years, I, the only way that I've been able to move forward and, and also the company too, by extension, because I'm a pretty big part of it at this stage is to just remember that there was never anything important to me that I did that I actually believed I was capable of before I did it. Of all, of all the things that I've ever accomplished that I feel proud of, the only 
moment when I was like, okay, I can do this was when I had actually already done it. So, um, just knowing that helps. I think it's like, you know, you can go into something and think, oh my God, they're going to throw tomatoes at me. I'm going to fall off the stage that, you know, this is going to happen. That that's going to happen. But as long as there's another part of your brain that can say, you remember last time you told yourself that, and it was all fine. Maybe this will also be like that. So you could just give it a go and see what happens. As long as that voice is just loud enough to push you out there and make you do it, then it's not going to stand in your way. So for me, it's never been about like getting over my imposter syndrome. It's something that I still have. It's just that I do stuff anyway. Mm. And that's, I think, yeah, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head with that because it, it's less so about like, you know, no, I've, I've mastered this. It, it's done. It's over with. It's more just like, no, like it's, it's something that's going to constantly be there. It's something that will just, you know, be something you, you kind of deal with on a daily. But at the same time, what you also deal with on the daily is accomplishing things that you didn't think you were going to have to or were able to do when you woke yeah. up in bed that same day. So it's just, yeah. it's balancing out the, the one it's balancing out uncertainty with, uh, with the same uncertainty of, uh, you know, just not knowing what it is in this world you can't handle as opposed exactly. to worrying so much about what it is you can. Yeah. Yeah. So just being willing to entertain that maybe you can, you know, you don't have to 100% believe it, but just be willing to entertain that idea that you could achieve what it is that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And then kind of, uh, to, to get the, uh, the third um, kind of the third strike against entrepreneurship, if we will, in terms of you know the taking care of founder and founder health and things like that, is uh, regarding burnout and setbacks. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's your advice on dealing with those two things? Because uh, I, I feel like again, those are very, very hand in hand, and uh, can have such a, a lasting impact on not only the uh, the entrepreneur but the the people who are uh, people who are running and supporting the business as well. Yeah, so I think I'll answer the burnout question and the setback question separately because certainly those are different answers for me. So with respect to burnout, for me, it, it again comes down to the people who are around me because I usually don't recognize it in myself. What happens with me is that the more tired I get, the more anxious I get, and the more anxious I get, the harder I want to work, and the harder I work, the top, you, you know what I mean? Like it just turns into a really vicious cycle. But the people around me, including my co-founders, especially my co-founders, they know the signs now, and and so I can trust them when they say, "Amanda, you are burning out. You need to go sit down. You know, take a week, do what you need to do. Take a weekend, take the afternoon, go do some yoga." whatever it is, but like this, what is happening with you right now is not helpful to anyone. So you need people around you who are going to say that to you, I think is really helpful. Either that or be really good at recognizing the signs yourself better than I am. Um, <laughs> so, so that's, and being, that's, and being an advocate for yourself, I imagine is the biggest part of that too, is, is feeling, you know, able to say, no, I need this time or like, no, I need to slow down. That too. Yeah. I mean, if the people around you are also, if, if they're not supportive in, in the way that the people are, you know, in the way that Kevin and Chris are for me, then yes, absolutely. You have to be able to stand up and say, listen, 
I need this time, not just so that I can be happy, but also so that I can be productive, actually, because there really is a lot of diminishing returns. The more that we, you know, it's not just more is better when it comes to work. Quality matters. And if you are exhausted emotionally, mentally, physically, you are not going to be making good decisions. You're not going to be doing your best work. So, so being able to say that to people is important for sure. And so the setbacks question, um, the thing that has helped me to deal with that the most is actually the horseback riding lessons I took as a child. <laughs> um, okay. This, this sounds like a good story. <laughs> well, I mean, I rode horses for a number of years growing up. And the number one thing I took away from that was when you fall off the horse, unless you are medically incapable of getting back on, you get back on that horse. Mm. That's all. Mm -hmm. So we had a situation several months ago where um, we were supposed to come into $500,000 of revenue from three different sources. Um, and we had lots of plans for that money. And this was uh, back in the fall. And it all fell through within a few days. And that was the one thing that was in my mind, you know, aside from, man, this sucks really hard, uh, was get back on the horse, Amanda. You're not, you're not dead. You're not injured. Get back on the horse. Um, and, and, and that's really the only way for me anyway. Yeah, no, and, and I, I hear you, and I think that's definitely something that will uh, will resonate with the audience so much as well, because it's just simply a case of like, you know, I mean, uh, part and parcel, you lose half a recording, you just go, well, you know what, that's the way it is, you deal with it, and you go ahead, because what other alternative is there? Right, yeah, totally the same thing. Yeah. And I think um, now to, to, to kind of shift our, uh, our, our conversation and moving to... Um, Moving to really like what's your, again, diving a little more into your uh, own entrepreneurial journey. So what was it that inspired you to become a, a next AI entrepreneur and, and how has that program um, helped mold your entrepreneurial journey? So I've spoken a lot about community already and that was really the, the hugest gift that we got from that program. We got a lot of things. We got, you know, education with some of the top minds in AI to augment what we already had. We got business education from people from U of T and HSA and MIT, Harvard, you know, some of the top minds in both of these fields. So that was huge. The number one thing we got, though, was the community. It was, ha you know, making friends, meeting people who were going through what we were going through and, and being able to bounce ideas off of them from a technical perspective and, and have them do the same with us. Um, but also just, you know, go have a coffee or breakfast or lunch or whatever and, and understand that you're not alone. Because when we started the, the business, we were in a small town and we didn't have that kind of community and it was lonely, you know, I mean, we had each other, but when you don't see other people doing the same sorts of things as you're doing, it seems less possible than when you're in a community of people who are all going for it. So that was really important for us. And, and the networks have been great too. You know, I mean, we got introduced to investors and, and mentors and, and all kinds of folks. So it's been awesome. Mm. Yeah, that that sounds uh, that sounds fantastic, especially that uh, that community uh, 
community mindset and that community bit. And again, you know, the that same thread we uh, we talked about earlier in the conversation, seeing yourself uh, in a role and and believing that uh, and and having that be the thing that you know is is uh, is saying like I can do this because I see other people who I relate to doing this as well. Yeah, it makes it a lot more real. And that helps with motivation. You know, when it seems real, it seems possible. It, it makes it a lot easier to actually get up and get yourself to do mm-hmm. the thing. So building from there, uh, what do you think Canada needs to do to uh, to get not only the, uh, the industry in AI, uh, but also the ecosystem surrounding AI and startups and the technology to the next level? How do we make AI uh, a attractive career option for people who may not consider it? How do we build a network and a community around AI and say to people, this is a viable business option, this is a viable industry, and this is a thriving industry here in Canada? So I think that can be answered from a number of angles. One thing I would say is it really needs to be more diverse because bias in AI is a pretty big issue. Uh, And algorithms, or I mean, okay, let me back up a little bit here. (laughs) The output of AI very often reflects the preconceptions of the people who create it. So having a diverse set of people in the field is critically important. And, And that means that we need to be getting people from schools and and from a very young age, from all walks of life, from all social classes, ethnicities, genders, thinking about these things early on. So a a cool thing that happened last week actually was Creative Destruction Lab brought a bunch of high school girls in to that day-long event with this accelerator so, so they could see some of the possibilities of what they could get into and what they could start to think about doing. And more of that, I think, would be really fantastic. I also think that there's some room for improvement in terms of the grants and funding that are currently available. There's a lot out there. The problem is a lot of it doesn't really help all that much with getting startups through what they call the valley of death. You know, they're expecting so much traction in order for you to get this money that by the time you get it, you don't really need it all that much. (laughs) So we're kind of getting to that point now where we're eligible for all of these things. And it's like, well, now we don't really even like, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say that because I'm still going to apply for stuff. So if if you're from a granting agency, please forget I just said that. But (laughs) I think finding ways to offer R&D grants to earlier stage companies and and fund bigger portions of those projects would be really great and and would help us to gain an edge that we might not otherwise have. Because it's again, yeah, and and I understand what you mean about the the traction ability and the fact that if you already have, like if you have to demonstrate that you have a working business in order to receive, you know, some kind of funding, if you have a working business, you're going to be making money. Right. And you, and you might eventually, again, be making that kind of money to the point where it's like, well, where this could have been easier or where, you know, we could have been, we could have saved five years getting here uh, if we'd had this funding in, in, in the start when in the reality we had, you know, a, a working model from the start. So I, I can see how there would be a, uh, a desire to kind of, you know, not cut corners, but really just expedite the process kind of going forward uh, through there. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it would make a huge difference. Mm. So, Ahmed, as we're coming to the end of our conversation, um, in light of everything that we've talked about, uh, what do you think is the most actionable piece of advice for our listeners on building a strong and confident business? Make some friends. Well, that's a good one. Make friends. Yeah. I don't like to think of it as networking because that kind of takes the human element out of it. And, and really, we're looking to make genuine connections here. And very often there happens to be business value that comes out of it. But at the end of the day, it's going to help you keep going. So make some friends. That's that's a huge one. And again, it's uh, that really is that really is the core of it, isn't it? It's um, it's it's finding people that, you know, you'd want to work with. It's finding people that, you know, make it make it fun, make it enjoyable, who to boot have these, you know, incredible skills that you and your business can leverage and take advantage of and, and use to accomplish things that neither of you could do alone. But at the end of the day, I mean, you got to like the person, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So it applies within the business and it applies outside of the business, too. For us, I think we're finding it helpful to also have friends outside of the business because you can get tunnel vision, you know, you're working on the same problems day after day. It can get hard to see the forest for the trees and being able to talk to people who are coming from a different perspective, sometimes a completely different industry can, can really shed new light on Mm. things. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your wisdom, your experience, your expertise, your uh, entrepreneurial journey. And, uh, again as uh, as you know somebody in one of those uh, in one of those fields where it's it's so it, it can be hard to uh, to see what any pattern is gonna uh, is gonna be or what any pattern might be playing out it's um, <laughs> it's great to know that uh, that randomness is still an element very much in entrepreneurship and seems like it always will be <laughs> seems to be the case yeah thank you so much for having me not a problem man. take care you All too. The best. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Until next week, I'm your host, Matt Curtis. Go check out the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. 